Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Well, we're waist deep into this uh, series in Philippians. We're spending about four months looking at this great letter where Paul is painting a picture of the Jesus life. What does it mean to live with Jesus and to walk in his ways and to do that together in community? And we're spending two weeks. Oh, how'd that get there? That's right. It's a good verse. You guys can do that. Um, We're spending two weeks on these two verses, verse 12 and 13. In these verses, Paul's concern is to address how we work out our salvation in daily life. And as I mentioned last week, he's not talking about how we work towards our salvation or work for our salvation. He's saying you already have that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You already have that. But you're trying to work out what does it mean to live as saved people? What does it mean to live as children of God? You've got to work that out in daily life. Just as we might come to a newly married couple and say, you're married. It's done. It's happened. Now what you get to do is you get to work out your marriage. You get to work out what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife. And so that's Paul's concern is, is not so much salvation, but the process of growth and transformation in our Christian journey. And so before I dive into this, I, I thought I'd ask you a question about growth. And transformation, because that's really Paul's time. How do we grow? How do we work that out? Um, so I just have a question for you to just step back for a second and to think about your life over the, maybe the last five years or so, okay? And 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 just ask the question: um, Do I see growth? <laughs> do I see transformation in my life? Do I see growth in my faith in in my character? Uh, maybe not miraculous, maybe not you know extreme, but can you look at the last five years and say, you know, I can, I can identify some very specific ways that I think God is growing me. I, I, see, I see change and transformation towards what I think God would want for me. Could you, are you seeing growth in your, in your life? Or maybe, maybe a better question would be to ask, um, do you long for growth in your life? Uh, whether or not you see it is is. Growth and change, something that you're like, man, I long for that. Are there parts of your life, of your character that you look at and you go, man, there's still such broken parts in me. I see things that are not the way I want them to be. Um, I, there's still so much insecurity or there's still so much selfishness or greed or lust or fear or anxiety. There, there's all sorts of things in me that, oh, I long to experience wholeness in certain areas. And I, I, I continue to bump up against my own brokenness, my own selfishness. Um, hopefully, you would answer yes to that. But do you, do you see it? Do you, do you long for it? 
That's really what Paul's getting after in this is how does change, how does growth, how does transformation happen in the Christian life? Uh, And unfortunately, Paul does not give us like the silver bullet of like the quick transformation. He doesn't give us the the miracle pill that you take and you're instantly transformed into all that you want to be. But what he does is he invites us into, he introduces us really to this beautiful dynamic between God's work on the one hand and our work and how those work together towards our own personal growth. And that we're to hang on to both of those. If we let go of one of those, uh, we're not going to live in healthy lives. But when we hold on to both of those, that will lead to a flourishing existence. So what I want to do today is, is talk about that. We're going to look at, at, uh, at, at God's work in our lives and our works and how that, how that works together for our growth. And first I want to look at these two verses for a second. And then I want to step back and look bigger picture about how Paul and how Scripture in general talks about this dynamic between God's work and our work. I'm going to solve centuries of debate in the next 30 minutes. So pay attention. All right, so let's look at the verse first. Uh, Paul starts in verse 12 by, by focusing on our work. The second half of verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? Last week we focused on that phrase fear and trembling. Today, let me focus on that word work. Saying continue to work it out. One commentator says that word work implies continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. Christian life requires continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. Elsewhere, Paul gives us metaphors for the Christian life that imply this. The Christian life is like a battle, right? Paul says, you're in a battle. Put on the full armor of God. Fight the good fight. Or another, another metaphor, the Christian life is like a race. It's like a, a marathon, right? Remove the sin and, and run this race with perseverance. It requires intentionality, discipline, effort. You're working at it, and you do it, Paul says, with fear and trembling. That is to say, don't be half-hearted. Don't be casual. Don't be cavalier. No, bring an intention and an effort to your life with Jesus. That's the command. Work it out. But then that is followed up in the very next sentence with this beautiful promise. Look at verse 13. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God is the one working. God, it's God who works. And that word works, the Greek word for works, is the word energeo, where we get our word energy, or energizes, okay? So work it out, but guess what? God is the one who is energizing you. God is the one at work in you, and he's energizing something in you. Specifically, he's energizing two things, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, okay? God is energizing you first to will, meaning to have the desire to do what he wants, to, to, have, to, to want the things that he wants. God is not just energizing in you conformity to some set of external rules. No, God is energizing you a transformation, a change in your heart. So you begin to desire the things he desires. You begin to love the things that God loves. And he's energizing that, that desire. And it says not just to will, but to act. He's also energizing not just the desire to do what he wants, but the ability, the strength, the power to do the things so that you can actually follow through on those desires. All right? 
Big picture. This is what God is up to in your life. He is at work. He is energizing things in you so that you desire to do the right thing and that you grow in your ability to, to actually live out that desire and live a life that is pleasing to him according to his good pleasure. All right, so that's the dynamic of the Christian life. You work, you fight, you struggle. Oh, and by the way, actually it's God who's working, who's fighting, who's struggling in you. All right, Paul, so which is it? I asked the same question last week. So is it, uh, am I working or is God working? What's the answer? Yes, right? Yes, yes, you are working. And yes, God is working in you. And that is how Paul consistently, how scripture consistently depicts the Christian life. Let me show you that verse that you maybe already read. This is how Paul experienced his own life of faith. This is him talking about himself. By the grace of God, remember Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Those of you in the Axios study, we read about that on Friday. Uh, By the grace of God, I am now what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet, actually, not I, but the grace of God that was in me, that was with me. Man, he, he became a Christian, and he, he, he worked so hard and said, yeah, but in the end, it wasn't actually me. It was, it was God's grace that was working in me. And now he's saying the very same, same thing to us. Work out your salvation for fear and troubling, with fear and troubling. Oh, and by the way, it's God who's energizing your ability and your power and your desire to do the things that he's calling you to. It's this beautiful dynamic in the Christian life, this partnership with God in our action and his action. And I just want to acknowledge, like I kind of did at the beginning, I know this, this, this creates all sorts of theological tensions for us, right? Historical tensions. Uh, and oftentimes how we, how we see this is we think of God's sovereign work and we think of our decisions and actions and, and we kind of pit those against each other, right? And kind of classic theology, either God's sovereign, he's doing the work, or we are free to do our own things, right? Uh, or maybe... Maybe, uh, you know, theologies are, are, you know, based on one of those or the other. Um, or maybe you think of it more in this, I, more like this. Uh, I know I'm making decisions and I'm, I'm doing things. And I, I know God's sovereignly work. How those all intermingle, I have no idea. But I just trust that those two things are happening all at the same time. I think Paul's and Scripture's uh, picture of that relationship is a little bit more intimate than that. And it's something more like this. That somehow you have God's sovereign work and you have our own decisions and actions. But somehow God is sovereign, not in spite of our decisions, but somehow God is actually sovereign through human decisions and actions. But those decisions remain real decisions and those actions remain real actions. I can't solve that uh, philosophically very well, but that seems to be the consistent theme of Paul. I worked harder than any of them, yet not me, but it was God's grace at work in me. Work out your salvation, for it is God who is working in and through you. So again, I'm not solving any um, philosophical questions here, but this, this God is somehow at work in and through our actions and decisions, but they remain real actions and decisions that we make. Here's my metaphor that I like to use. Um, it's imperfect, as you'll see, it breaks down if you take it too far. But I think in terms of just practical life, okay, this is you, and this is you're on your journey of life. And you're going, you've got this journey of faith that, that God has set you on, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, right? In this case, it's a bike race. And um, you experience life as you're, you're pedaling away, 
right? You're, you're working. Sometimes you're working uphill. Sometimes you're working downhill. But you're pedaling. You're going for it. You're sweating. You're straining. You're breathing. You're, you're working to move in this journey. And this is how you experience your life. But if you could, like, turn around and gain bigger perspective, you would realize that you're actually part of a tandem bike. You're not on a solo bike. You're on a tandem bike, and God is sitting in the back seat of the tandem bike, okay? And you each have your pedals, but the pedals are connected with one chain like a tandem bike is, right? And you look down, and every time you start pedaling, God is there pedaling behind you. And when you stop pedaling, he stops pedaling. And you realize you're pedaling, you're doing your thing, but all the time, God has been there. He's the one who is doing his work in and through your pedaling. And you're going to work as hard as you can to get up the hill. But in the end, God is the one who's going to get you there. And he's going to get you there through your pedaling. All right? Imperfect, breaks down, probably, you know, don't take it farther than you should. Um, but I, what, what I'm trying to get at, there's this, there's this beautiful partnership that, that God invites us into. This tandem journey with him in the process of our own growth and transformation as Christians. He's at work in and through our work. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to I just step back from this passage. And I want to just look at a couple really famous passages of Scripture. Most of you will be very familiar with these. And I want to just step back and look at this beautiful dynamic between God's action and ours. And show you these passages that show how God is at work in our lives. What he is up to doing in our lives, moving us on this journey. And then, and then finally, how should we live in response to that truth? And my hope is that today you can soak this in, what I'm about to say in the next 10 minutes, that you can, especially if you're here this morning and you're maybe feeling particularly discouraged, like that question I asked earlier about growth, like you're like, man, I have so many areas that I want to grow in. I feel so stuck in so many things. My, my hope and prayer is that you just be encouraged and you could, you could receive these great truths about the work that God is up to in your life from beginning to end. And then we'll end by, okay, in light of the work he's doing, how do we live in response to that? All right, so I'm going to take you on a journey through three very uh, well-known passages. All right, first passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Love this. For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Right? You don't work for your salvation, Paul said. It is a free gift given by God's grace. You didn't work it. God did it. He offered it to you as a free gift. Receive that gift. And then Paul goes on in the very next next verse to say this. For we're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we might work in them. He's saying, you're not your own workmanship. You are God's workmanship. God is the one who is working something. He created you in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the new creation that God birthed in us when we became believers. Whether we were five years old, whether we were 65 years old, whenever that happened, through a day, through a process, this new creation that is God's work. And that word workmanship, I'll give you one more Greek word today. The Greek word is poema, where we, of course, get our English word poem from. Paul says, you are God's poem. 
or another translation, you're God's work of art. You are God's creative masterpiece. God is writing a poem that is your life. It is an unfinished poem, but he is in the process of writing it. It's his work. And then he says this, he created you, this poem, to do what? Good works. He didn't save you by works. He created you so that you could do good works, which God prepared in advance that we might walk in them. There's all these good things that God saved you to do, and he has prepared them in advance that you would walk in them. So let's go back to our analogy, right? It's like God saved us, and he laid out this road of good things that he has prepared in advance, and every day we get to step into, or I guess pedal into would be the analogy, pedal into the good things that God has already prepared for us to do. You know, little things. It's a, it's a, a kind word to our spouse when they, they need to hear it. It's a, a moment where we resist a certain temptation, an act of generosity to someone. And all these various things that God has laid out that we get to walk into every day. He's writing this poem. He sets us on a journey. And he has this, this plan, this journey of transformation. All right, so I wanna, I'm going to go to two other passages to ask this question. What is the ultimate destination of this journey? I mean, we know it's eternal life, but I, I, I'm thinking this, this, destin, this journey of transformation, what's the ultimate goal and destiny? So what's the destination? And then secondly, um, how does God get us there? All right? So first, what is, what's the ultimate destination of this journey? Romans 8, 28 through 30. Again, very well-known passage. Paul says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, right? God's the one working again. And in all things, he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, what is that good? What, do you, what good do you have in mind? Here it is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many children. The phrase here is predestined to be conformed to the likeness of a son. That word predestined, just think God had a destination or a destiny in mind for you. And he had it pre. He had it ahead of time. In advance, he had a destination in mind for you. What is that destination? To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. The destination is that you would become more and more like Jesus. That ultimately, you would be exactly like Jesus. And if you, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, all of his character qualities, that, that, that God has designed that you would be those ways, that all the love that you see in Jesus, that one day that would be in you. And the joy, and the courage, and the wisdom, and the patience, and the gentleness, all these amazing qualities, all the things that, when you step back and you look at your life and go, these are the things I most long for for myself that I, I feel so unable to have. That is God's destination for you. So to go back to our, um, our little analogy, this is where this road is headed, that you would look more and more like Jesus, that I would look more and more like Jesus. And it says God is working in all things, right? Every uphill, every downhill, every left turn, every right turn, the good and the bad, right? You lose your job. 
God is working. You go through a breakup. God is working. You get a new house. God is working. You get the flu. God is working. All things. Okay? All things. He's at work so that he will ultimately bring you to this destination that you are more and more like Jesus. I love that. <laughs> I mean, just to make this personal. So, so one day, Dave is going to be like Jesus. Yet I'll still be Dave. I'll be like this, this, this Dave-flavored version of Jesus. And you will love the Dave-flavored version of Jesus. And I'll love, you know, the, the, the you-flavored version of Jesus. You'll still be you, but with, with the character qualities of, of Jesus. That is where God is taking us. Pretty amazing. That's the destination. And then how does God get us there? What's the power by which he gets us there? That's the final thing. Uh, if the destination of, is God's son, uh, the power is God's what? Spirit, Right? The destination is his son. The power is his spirit. When we become believers, he fills us with his spirit. He gives us new hearts. And he begins this process of change from the inside out. Not all at once, but gradually. He begins to transform us day by day from the inside out. One more very well-known verse, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the work that the Spirit is doing in our lives. Now, those, those qualities, who does that look like? Jesus, right? Christ-likeness. And Paul here is saying, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's not your own fruit. It's, it's when, when you are attached to the Spirit, this is the fruit that will emerge from your life over time, the character qualities of Jesus Christ. All right, so there you have it. God is writing his poem. God has set us on this journey, and he is at work. He's working in us. The destination is we become more and more like Jesus, and the means by which that happens, he fills us with his spirit, and his spirit is at work making us more and more like Jesus through everything we, we go through. So that one day we'll look back and we'll realize, man, God, that was all you. And Paul, in, in, in Philippians 1, that famous statement, he says, I am confident, I'm confident of something, that he who began a good work in you he will be faithful to complete it. I'm confident because of who God is. He doesn't just stop projects halfway through. He started something in you, and he'll be faithful to complete it. So one day, you will reach this destination of being all that God intended for you to be. All right? It's all his work. That's what God is up to in our lives. So let me end with this question in light of that. If that is what God is up to, how do we live our lives now knowing that knowledge? I know none of this is new for most of you, but how do we live our lives in light of what God is up to? Well, here's the beautiful thing, I think. The beautiful thing is this. Even though God is the one who is sovereignly at work in our lives, here's what I want you to hear today. God has sovereignly ordained that our own will and action be deeply involved in, in the process of our own transformation, okay? God is sovereignly at work. He's doing his stuff, but he has sovereignly ordained that our own will and action would be deeply involved in our own transformation. God gives us the dignity of participating in our own transformation, he gives us the responsibility 
to partner with him in our own growth. And if you think about it, he didn't have to do it this way. Right? I mean, he could have, you become a believer and he could have waved a magic wand and you're boom. You're like Jesus, right? Magic pill, transformation. I wish he would have done it that way. But he didn't do that way. No, he gives us the dignity of participating actively in our own transformation. I had someone between services come up to me and she said, you know, it's, I love that. She said, it's kind of like you don't give the kid the new um, Ferrari on their 16th birthday, right? I mean, you could do that, but you make them work for it because there's a, there's a greater appreciation when they work for it. I was like, yeah, that's actually not bad, you know? <laughs> he, he gives us the dignity and the responsibility of partnering with him in our own transformation. So what's our response to knowing that God is at work? That God is the one behind us pedaling all the way. Do we, in light of that, do we say, great, God's pedaling. I'm going to take my feet off the pedals, put them up on the handlebars. I'm going to fall asleep. God, wake me up when we get there, right? Is that the response? No. But Paul's saying the response is this. Knowing that God is at work, you pedal all the more. But you pedal with great confidence that your pedaling will be fruitful, that will be beneficial Because you're not pedaling in your own strength. You're not left up to your own resources. Because the living God of the universe is pedaling. So your pedaling is spirit-empowered pedaling. It is effective. It is fruitful. It is God who is pedaling with and through you. And you pedal knowing that even when you make a mistake, even when you fall, God is going to see his work through. So you don't fall with a sense of despair. No, you, you, you fall knowing, yeah, I, I may have, may have lost, a, lost a battle here, but, but the destination, it's going to happen. And so you pedal with hope and joy and perseverance, knowing you're going to reach the destination. So it, it, it's a really interesting dynamic, I think, in the Christian life, where we're, we're called to fight and to strain and to struggle for the very things that God is going to give us. <laughs> we work and we fight and we strain For the very things that God wants to give us, but we do it in dependence on him, in partner trusting in his grace and mercy, trusting that we will finally make it to that destination. So one day at the end of our lives, God will look at us and he will genuinely say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will look at at our lives, look look back and and say to him, it was all you. Looking back, it was actually all you and we'll both be right at the same time. That's the dynamic, this beautiful dynamic in the Christian life. Work it out, for God is at work. All right, so let me leave you with a a practical challenge, practical experiment, maybe, would be a way to do it. I want want to encourage you to, to identify one area in your life, in this current season of your life, uh, where you long to grow. And I'm thinking of, of specifically one thing that you're utterly convinced God wants, ultimately wants to do in your life. And the reason you're utterly convinced is because it's very clear in Scripture <laughs> that that's what he wants for you. And yet you still feel yourself continuing to, to struggle in that area. Uh, let me, I'm going to give you a couple examples um, just to stimulate your thinking. What's one area where you want to you see growth? And you know, you know God wants to do this growth. Uh, whether today or in 10 years. God wants to do this because it's real clear in Scripture. Uh, look at verse 14. Here's, here's one. Here's an area for some of us. Verse 14. Do 
everything without grumbling or arguing. Some of us could spend the rest of our lives, you know, focusing on that verse. Maybe you're like, gosh, I, I feel like a compl- I'm a complainer. I, I, I'm so quick to argue. Um, maybe it's chapter 2. Look at verse back in um, verse 3 of chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Maybe pride is something like, I still wrestle with pride. And just a self-centeredness. I, I, I feel that so much. How about chapter 4? Take a look at chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this, do not, uh, do, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Maybe anxiety is something that you continue to just, just continues to hound your life. How about verse 8? Uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those kinds of things. Okay, maybe it's, it's your thought life, the kinds of things you tend to focus on day to day. We're like, man, there's so much growth to be had. Maybe it's other things Paul says in other letters. Maybe it's sexual purity. Uh, maybe it's um, gratitude. Okay, all, all of these, w- w- maybe there's something that you identify. You're like, I feel like it's clear that God wants to do this, and, and I, I have a desire to grow in this area of my life. And what I want to, if you can identify something, my, my question for you today would be, what would it look like to live out verse 12 and 13 in that area of your life? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, what would it look like to work out your salvation in that area? Continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. I was thinking about my own life this week, and I was, sometimes we just get so passive in certain issues of our lives. Like for me, anxiety is something that I, I, I'll share off and I'll just generally struggle with. And, and I can get so passive with that. Like I, I, this sort of magical thinking, maybe if, you know, just over time, this is just going to get better. And I don't fight for it. I don't fight for joy. I don't fight for gratitude. I don't say, hey, I want to I build systems into my life that are going to help me to be a more joyful, grateful person. I want to build relationships into my life. Or might be sexual immorality. We'll go, it's just, I'm just, this is just taking me, I'm not even fighting for this anymore. So what does it look like to fight for joy, to fight for sexual purity, to fight for gratitude, to fight for generosity, to, to, to work at these things? But, <laughs> and take that thing, that whatever you've identified, to know in the end, it is God who is working in me. That this work, it's not a striving in my own efforts. It's not trying to do this in my own strength to try to somehow gain God's approval. No, but it's done in dependence, in partnership. I'm not living for his approval. I'm living from. I already have that. And I can live with the joy of knowing that every time I fail in this area of my life, there's grace. And I'm going to win this battle. I'm going to win the battle of anxiety. I'm going to win the battle of sexual purity. I'm going to win the battle of generosity, of joy, one day. (laughs) Because the one who's working in me is none other than the living God of the universe. And so I fight, and I strain, and I move, I press on. But in partnership, in dependence, in joy, knowing that his grace is at work. His grace 
is sufficient when I fail. I just think that that's the community that God wants us to be. To do that together, together we are pressing on towards the things that God longs to give us, all in dependence on his grace and mercy, trusting that ultimately it's his work from beginning to end, and so we can live with that confidence. So that's the invitation. That is the call. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing some songs to the Lord.